with whatever you have been challenged with know that it is breaking it is breaking off you're coming out the cocoon god is making your wings to flap and you are flowing in the wind of god hallelujah bless god flow people flow flow in what god has given you hallelujah praise god nothing can come against you crosswinds are not going to hurt you your wings will be strong to go in the direction God is blowing you in. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Oh, receive it. Hallelujah. Receive the word of God. Hallelujah. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> We're here again with this 12th part of this series. Praise Jesus. Amen. Breaking barriers to relational wellness. Hopefully, we will conclude today. Hopefully, hopefully we'll conclude this series today. But as you know, last week we were talking about philia, which is mentally loyal love, otherwise known as covenant friendship. All right, all right, praise God. Philia is mentally loyal love, affectionate regard, or friendship. It's give and take. It has loyalty. Praise the Lord. It has virtue. It has equality and it has familiarity. Praise Jesus. So those are the components of friendship. You know, we talked last week about covenant. Praise Jesus. Covenant is basically, you know, when people are joined together. Covenants involve promises, just in a quick review. Covenants are spiritually charged. That's it. That means heaven goes into agreement with the covenants you make with people. So therefore, do not take them lightly. Um, those of you all who have seen, praise Jesus, the, um, the cover for today, God gave me a beautiful uh, image to use for the cover. Hallelujah. Uh, basically, the cover image for this series today is based off of the Harlem Renaissance. All right. From the 1920s or so. Uh, great time of the world uh, as far as what was happening in Harlem. Yes, the world was full of terror and anti-humanity. But however, what happens is, in the you know, sometimes in the worst of times, you can have the best of times. And Harlem was such a great experience at those times because there was... Jim Crow on steroids at that time. Um, and But at that time, you had some of the greatest writers. You had on that cover is Langston Hughes and some of his friends at a party to be held at his honor. Yes, social activists, um, you know, of course, Langston Hughes himself. You had a U.S. sociologist, which is Charles Johnson. Yet another one, E. Franklin Frazier. You had a U.S. physician, which is Rudolph Fisher, and a civil rights activist and lawyer politician, Thomas, excuse me, Hubert Thomas Delaney. All right. Now, listen to me. We're getting into it, but I want to say that in the Harlem Renaissance was a period of social and artistic expression. People were um, challenged with their humanity, particularly those who are heavily melanated. All right. And so what happened, there was terror and violence and bigotry and hatred and Jim Crow all around. So what wound up happening is those 
who were on the side of being oppressed, they became friends in the struggle for freedom and a equal humanity. All right. So Prophet Shante. I was just going to say that this is right in the throes. The Harlem Renaissance is right in the throes of the Jim Crow reconstruction era where um, due to all of the horrific things that are happening to blacks, particularly in the South, you see a movement of African-Americans moving from the South to the mm -hmm. East, to mm -hmm. the Northeast and to the West. All right. So, we, you know, we had folks that were coming together and so many covenant friendships were developed at that time. People came together as friends. You had no time to be fickle. You had no time to be two-faced because there was too much terror and too much horror and too much loss of life that can occur by you falling out with people over trivial stuff. So when people got together, there was for the purpose of supporting life, making humanity better. Go ahead, Prophet. And I, I want to emphasize, I know you're going to jump in, but I want to emphasize that there were artists of all different kinds, mm -hmm. right? There were musicians, there were singers, there were poets, there were also historians mm -hmm. and researchers mm. and visual artists and sculptors. And so everybody had their particular um, field of interest that they were interested in mm -hmm. and they came together in support of each other. There was a, there was a synergizing right. and there was a mixing of gifts, but their, their um, goals and their purpose of uplifting um, the black race at the time was a goal that everybody shared. That's right. So what happened was there were many covenants occurring. There was many people joined together and sometimes with covenant, there are issues as far as making life better that join people together. When I said earlier, covenant is about when parties making a covenant and they are joined together and, and there's promises and they things are spiritually charged. God came in and began to break down the systems of oppression because of the close friendships these individuals had and their freedom to express themselves as friends. Because one thing about covenant, it does, it helps you to be able to express the good part of you freely. Mm -hmm. It doesn't limit you. It doesn't sit there and try to put you in a box that you can't express yourself. That's what covenant friends do. It's a promise that we're going to uphold you in what you are gifted and what you are talented with as you uphold me in what I'm gifted and what I'm talented with. And because, you know, we just want to support each other as human beings. Covenant, you know, friendship, like we said, there's equality involved. You know, there's community involved. There is um, loyalty involved. So we become loyal to one another because this purpose and these issues have joined us. I look at like Martin Luther King and, and Abernathy and Andrew Young, all those folks that were together, their friendships. I mean, one, the iconic photo where they are all leading the charge, walking arm in arm. You look at, you know, a Bloody Sunday and how people were arm in arm. Their covenant friendships gave them a community base of strength. To be able to tackle the forces at hand. Like last week, we began to talk about 
how or we talked a bit more about David and Jonathan. And I just want to sum up some of these verses that um, that we talked a bit about last week, but I want to share a little bit more. Okay, look at this. First um, Samuel 20. At this point, I'm going to go to the second half of a verse 11 through 17. The backstory is that Saul wanted to kill David. Saul became like a terrorist to the life of David. Okay. And that terror is what David was trying to escape from. And Saul and Jonathan, being the son of Saul, decided to join in with David as covenant to help support the life of this valuable and talented individual that was in humanity. Look at this. Verse 11. Come outside, said Jonathan. Let's go to the field. When the two of them were out in the field, Jonathan said, as God, the God of Israel is my witness. That's very profound. He His covenant with David became God-centered as God being a witness for what he put his life on the line in covenant with David. A lot of us, we will really reevaluate who we call as covenant friends when we bring the God, bring God as a witness to what it is that you're adjoining for. That's very important to understand. As God is the God of my witness, by this time tomorrow, I'll get it out of my father and how he feels about you. Then I'll let you know what I learned. May God do his worst to me if I let you down and if my father still intends to kill you, I'll tell you and get you out of here in one piece. When you, even like before I go on, even when you look at the, the civil rights movements, you know, the Harlem Renaissance and all those things, this is the kind of things they were doing. You had law enforcement, you had government officials, you had um, the highest intelligence agents in the world trying to destroy black humans using their legal authority as leaders, Saul, as the king, decided to decree that decree death upon someone who had talent, who had value, and who had God's promise. What happens is covenant friends will come together to help protect your life from those who want to slaughter you. So the Harlem Renaissance literally was like a greater expression of what was happening with David and Jonathan. Same thing with the civil rights movement. Martin Luther King, Abernathy, John Lewis, all those guys, those gentlemen, you know, um, even the women, their wives, Rosa Parks, all of them, they joined together in covenant in order so that they can save the lives of people who were slated to be slaughtered. Ella Baker, Fannie Lou Hamer. Ella Baker, Fannie Lou Hamer, you know, Ida B. Wells. I mean, there's so many involved. So they became covenant because they were joined together by a cause. And that, that joining together by a cause brought in closer, stronger, more resilient friendships to help bring emancipation to the human spirit and body. This is what happens. Let me keep reading. This is what Jonathan said. And God be with you as he has been with my father. Yes, look at this. David, Jonathan talks to David that the way God 
supported my father as king when he was in his right mind. May the God do the same for you. Look at this. You got people who are in leadership currently who are wicked, who have lost their mind. But it does not negate the authority figure that they are. So what happened was, even though Saul was emotionally and, and mentally um, lost, like we have seen in our current uh, and very recent political cycles, people have lost their mind, but the authority involved with their position is some ordained by God. So Jonathan declared that even the authority that God gave to Saul as being a king, that God would take that same authority upon David. That's what covenants do for you. You speak life. You declare and decree life. You declare God's authority and his purpose for these individuals, even when they're on the hunt. Because that's when they need it the most. You have people who will change the world, but they're being hunted to be slaughtered. It's those moments where they need affirmation from those who are close to them, who have their best interests at heart. That's what Jonathan was speaking to David. That's what we need to do with one another. Hallelujah. Look at this. If I make it through this alive, if I make it through this alive, continue to be my covenant friend. And if I die, keep the covenant friendship with my family forever. And when God finally rids the earth of David's enemies, stay loyal to Jonathan. Jonathan repeated his pledge of love and friendship for David. Look at this. This is what we have to understand that the grave reality that as we battle, as we go forward, as we try to make life better and more equality to occur for human beings to have their God-given right to live and to survive and to thrive, there may be a realization that these individuals may not make it through you know, ground zero. So that's what made the friendship even more potent because knowing that any given day, any one of the friends who are joined together for making the world better, they may lose their life in the battle. So that's why it's important to reaffirm your friendship and your covenant with individuals and your support while you have breath in your body because it won't necessarily always be there. And the thing about it is, Jonathan didn't just do it for David at the moment. He said perpetually, so that even if I succumb to this war that we're in, that you'll continue to honor and bless my efforts of covenant with you throughout the generations. That's very valuable. Covenant friendships are not numerous. It's not about the quantity of friends all these social media platforms base your significance upon how the quantity of people or friends that you have or followers that you have. Covenant is not based on algorithms. If you gain covenant friends, you are blessed. Hmm. 
We know humans fail. A lot of humans fail. A lot of people who I've, even who I've encountered several years ago and really held in high regard several years ago have lost their minds in the last several years. But covenant friends, they will stick with you throughout seasons. They're not just for one season. They don't change when political cycles change. If they connect it to you, they're connected to you for the duration. Go ahead, Prophet. I was just going to say, I want to reiterate that piece about covenant friendships resonate from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. Covenant friendships are not just between you and that person. It's usually between your generations and that person's generations. Hallelujah. It it resonates through your children to their children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not just that one piece. It's not just that individual um, relationship between the the initial two people. It resonates from generation to generation. That's very good because we have to understand that even when you're in covenant with somebody, you don't keep it secret. You don't keep it hidden amongst their family. You don't have the secret individual in the family that people don't know what is going on, so they have no way to relate to the person that you're connected to. And that's very important for us to understand. Families are a part of this thing. People who are connected to you are also connected to your family. Mm-hmm. So you have to set and establish the tone and the tenor for the relationship so that families can get on board with what this covenant is really about. That's how you preserve legacy. Oh, Jesus. And just like there are covenant friendships, there are also covenant enmities mm-hmm. I think one of the f- most famous ones that most people know about here in the United States is the Hatfields and the McCoys mm-hmm. you had that same <sighs> resonation of hatred going from generation to generation mm-hmm. and so if we can recognize that then we should be able to recognize the other side of that exactly because people are driven to the drama of you know discord and disagreement But are you driven to the loyalty? Do people know the common good of the loyalty? Do people know the common good of equality and virtue that comes from those who you're connected to? That's what people need to see and that's what people need to hear. You know, look at even with Jesus, you know, the scripture calls John was a disciple whom Jesus loved. His love was not a thing of favoritism. His love for John was because John was a close follower of Jesus, unlike the other disciples. Go ahead, Prophet. You just hit on something there. Um, And I just really heard this just really strongly in the spirit just now. If something happened to you, do your children know who you have counted on as loyal people? Oh, my God. That they can go to. Right. Can you give your future generations names 
to say, mm-hmm. these people have been loyal. These people are good. These people are godly. Mm-hmm. These people are morally upright. These people are upstanding. If anything happens to me, these are the people, these are the families that you can go to. Right. How do we see this in scripture? Who does Jesus leave his mother to? (laughs) Jesus says, I got to go. I've got to ascend. I've got a, a, a greater work to do as your ascended savior. But woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Who does Jesus leave his relative in the care of Mm. it's the disciple whom jesus loved right Mm, mm. so even jesus didn't just Mm. depart without calling out a name to say this is whose care i can leave my mother in Mm. go ahead you have to establish how the two legacy occurs when you established a path for it to occur. Legacy occurs when you set a path for it beyond your own life. Evaluate who's in your circle. Evaluate who's covenant friends with you. And establish means in which you can help keep the generations alive and the friendship alive and the covenant alive from generation to generation. Oh, that's good, Prophet Shante. My God. John followed Jesus because of his love for Jesus and the word and the things that Jesus done. Okay. Jesus trusted John. You know, others were following Jesus, but they were following Jesus out of pride and dominion's sake. So <laughs> even Jesus himself knew the levels of friendship. He had disciples. He had the close ones. He had the ones that are intermediates and he had the ones that were distant. Many f- stopped following Jesus because they couldn't go the full distance in the friendship and the mission of Jesus. Some of those people in your life, they can't go the full distance with you. And that's okay. They're not evil. They're not your adversary, per se, unless they make themselves your adversary. But some people just can't go as far as you go. You know, you have to understand that there's a process of purging the deeper you go into your call and your purpose. A covenant friend will stick with you until the end. Prophet. You go and you look at John 6 and it it gives us some, it shows us some levels there, right? Jesus sees that there are some people who are following him for the mission. He sees that there are some people who are following him for the bread. He sees that there are some people who are clout chasing, (laughs) as we call it today. He sees that there are some people who are only going to see him as the man Jesus and the son of man and not the son of God. And Mm. then we know that there was the one who was following him for the wrong motive. Mm. So we got to check. What is actually driving people's relationship with us? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So let me look at John 15 and 12. For, for John 15, verse 12 through 17. I'm going to read this again from the message. Okay. Um, it says, 
this is Jesus talking. I have told you these things for a purpose. That my joy, look at this, that my joy might be your joy and that your joy, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, mature. So there are things that you share with covenant friendships so that the joy that you have, so that the um, the blessing that you have in what you're doing and what you're about can be the joy that they carry as well. So that they can mature in the purpose that you have been designed to on this earth. That's what friends do. They help build each other. Iron sharpens iron. Look at this. Let me keep reading. This is my this is my command. Love one another the way I loved you. This is the very best way to love. Look at this. Put your life on the line for your friends. Put your life on the line for your friends. So friends are not fickle. Friends will sit there just like we said in the Renaissance and in, um, in the Reconstruction era with, with, with melanated humans in the Civil Rights era. So many parables that they can take from Jesus and the life of even Jonathan and David, Christ and his apostles um, that we can take into the lives in our current day. You need to make sure that as you're a friend with this person, can't will you able to go the distance and put your life on the line so that they can follow in the full purpose and vice versa? It's not just one-sided. It's not just you putting your life on the line for someone else. It's them committed to putting their life on the line so that you can be strengthened and walk greater into the purposes that you have been called to do. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let me jump down to verse 16. You didn't choose me. Remember, I chose you and I put you in the world to bear fruit, fruit that won't spoil. As fruit bearers, whatever you ask the Father in relation to me, he gives it to you. But remember the root command, love one another. Love one another. And we're shown and we're breaking down these types of loves so you can understand how to make sure that the legacy, even how Christ's legacy continuing to move forward in our lives. When we claim Christ and we embrace Christ and we invite people to know Christ, we don't do it out of hatred. We don't do it out of a sense of superiority. We do it out of love and carrying on the legacy that Christ gave to us as we go forward in our relations with other human beings, all right? So that's pretty much what I wanted to share as far as filial love. And, you know, there's another aspect that we're jumping into, which I would, uh, which won't take me long to share today, is the sorge, the storge, S-T-O-R-G-E. It's an affection It's the ability to put up with diverse situations without losing 
the affection and the love that's necessary to keep the relationship going. Affection. What is affection? There's a term called splagon. Splagnon. It's called the inward parts. It's the emotions. Inward parts like heart, liver, lungs. Splagon is like if you if you look at it from a from the verse from the definition of the Bible, from the biblical definition, it's properly the internal organs or a gut level compassion. A gut level compassion. Where you feel it in your gut, you feel it in your inward parts, the compassion for these other individuals. It's not sexual, it's not romantic or anything. It's just a deep emotions of sympathy and empathy to see the best come out of someone else. And this is very important, particularly when you see people who have fallen from various aspects of grace. There are folks who are doing well. Like even when you look at Martin Luther King, there are some failures that occur in his, um, in his life. There were some moral failures. However, the storge, the affectionate love of his friends that they had for him, knew that although he failed we, in various areas of his life, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Although he may have failed, we sit there and dress him on that or her on that, but you don't dismiss the individual's being. You help bring strength to them. You help bring restoration to them. You help get them back onto the track where they're fully exercising what it is God has called them to be. Think what would have happened if Martin Luther King decided and his friend decided to cut him off and he stopped doing what he was doing because of the failures that he had in various areas of his life. We'd be lost as a nation today. Go ahead, Prophet. This is a very good point because <clears throat> I often see people have these memes, right, where um, it'll be like a trash can or they'll say, you know, I'm glad we, we, I'm glad we took the trash out today, right? But that's a very skewed and a very demeaning view of humanity because nobody is trash. If you believe in the Amaho day, if you believe that we are all made in the image of God, then you know that nobody is trash. Mm -hmm. So you don't throw people away as trash. You address the trash in the life of the person and you hold on to the person. You separate what that person has done from who that person is. Exactly. You address the trash. You address the situation. You address the moral failure, but you don't discard human beings. Exactly. Exactly. So this is very valuable. This is very valuable. I pray that you're getting something out of this because, you know what? God wants us to be restored with one another. He wants to break the barrier. There are people who are very strong, passionate friends with you, 
but something happened in their life or maybe your life which may have strained it. There's a gut level compassion that God puts in there, particularly when it comes out to covenant friendships that he wants to continue to maintain, be maintained. And he will give this affectionate love, this sorge to you and place it in you to reach out, to bring love, to understand how to get past the negativity of what has hurt in the past. Particularly if it's not life-threatening or economically threatening. Let's turn to Romans uh, 12 and verse 10. It says, um, from the Amplified, I'll read, it says, Love one another with brotherly or sisterly affection as members of one family, giving precedence and showing honor to one another. One of the best, one of the most encouraging things we can do in our lives is when people who were really on fire doing great things hadn't made a mistake or something slipped or something just fell apart in their life is by you showing them honor to know that their situation doesn't define who they actually are. That temporary situation or circumstance does not define who they are. And your covenant friendships and your relations and your sorge, your gut level compassion will help be one of the greatest medicinal aspects to restoring someone's life. We can't get so, so inundated with our own self-importance that we have no compassion for those who have been connected to us that God designed to be connected to us. Affectionate gut level inward love and compassion is warm. It is caring and it is protective in nature. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. A great example of this is found in one of my wife's favorite books of the Bible in Ruth. Ruthie Ruth. <laughs> There's various scriptures we have here and I'm not going to go into a full detail. She can give you three months of that. Um, but let's look at Ruth 1, verse 3 through 5, 8 through 9, and 14 through 17. I'm going to go through this, not quickly, but you know, a little, little more up-paced. Look at this. Elimelech died, and Naomi was left, she and her two sons. Verse 3. The sons took Moabite wives. The name of the first was Orpha. The second was Ruth. They lived there in Moab for the next 10 years, but the two brothers, but then the two brothers, Mahlon and Chilion died. Chilion died. 
Now the women were left without either her young men or her husband. Verse 8. After a short while on the road, Naomi took her two daughters-in-law. Go back. Go home. Live with your mothers. And may God treat you as graciously as you treated your deceased husbands and me. May God give each of you a new home and a new husband. She kissed them and they cried openly. Verse 14, this is so sweet. And they cried openly. Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth embraced her. Ruth embraced her and held on. Can you imagine a mother who loses her husband and her sons? That's a triple whammy. I say triple because no best friend as husband. No support system as husband. No sons, no strength to carry on what it is to carry on that you have in life that takes strength and resilience from a man's point of view. All that was gone. So, and you got to understand the culture of these times if no men were there, it was really almost impossible for women to have a life because of the archaic aspects of laws that didn't allow women to possess anything. Mm-hmm. So she really had nothing. She kissed them. You know, they had friendship. They had 10 years of good friendship as in-laws. But one said, kissed goodbye. And it was honorable. It wasn't dishonorable. It wasn't like n- nasty. Mm-hmm. But one said, I'll emb- she embraced her and she held on. Verse 15, Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law is going back home to live with her own people and guys. Go with her. Verse 16 and verse 17. But Ruth said, don't force me to leave you. Don't force me to leave you. Don't make me go home. Where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you die, I'll die. And that's where I'll be buried. So help me God. Not even death itself is going to come between us. Which is where the traditional wedding vow comes from. My God, look at this. True affection, true storge, affectionate love. This was not an LGBT thing or anything like that. This was a Moabite woman who wasn't even, that was a whole different culture. That's a whole different, they had a whole different faith structure. But but Ruth held on to the Hebraic 
held on to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because of her friendship with her mother-in-law. She didn't have to stay. But her compassion for Naomi, even though she had a hardship in life, losing three men, two sons and a, and a husband, she, the compassion in her, did not want to abandon, even though the person said, go and leave me. Sometimes when people say, go and leave me, is literally them saying, please help me so I don't die. It takes a spirit to understand that. Some people may want to push you away because they're hurt. They're broken. Their esteem is pretty much gone. But the power of compassion in you won't let them go. Go, Prophet. And also, culturally, it is an opportunity. It's an honorable way out. Mm -hmm. Giving that person the option to go mm -hmm. and not manipulating the person to stay mm -hmm. and not manipulating a connection that that person may not have with you because Orpah, though she was connected by the in-law, you can tell that they didn't have the same level of covenant relationship mm -hmm. that Ruth was willing to fight for. So, this is what I'll say here. True affection, true storge, sticks through trouble and adversity. When you lose all, those who have built an affection for you will not depart. Even when people force you away, you can stay and bring strength because of the storge, the affectionate love. There, I can tell you, Prophet Shantae and I, we have gone through some, <laughs> when I say, we, I would call it quicksands, the miry clay, in our transition from south to the mid-Atlantic. There was a whole host of things that really left us bewildered. It left us challenged. It left us like, why are we even here on earth? God, this is too much. But there were a group of individuals that God had put into our life that remained faithful to us despite of the circumstances we were dealing with. We're way out and way beyond those circumstances. And the covenant friends in our lives have been blessed because they saw how hard it was for us to endure. They stayed faithful to us. They supported us, even though when we were too embarrassed to even want to have support. And now, even today, there's a greater sense of just uh, covenant and camaraderie we have because they stuck with us and we stuck with them. That's what this love does. So when you look at covenant, when you look at friendship, when you look at love, when you look at breaking barriers, love breaks down the walls that divide us. And love breaks and love empowers the bind, the, the, uh, the 
is the glue that helps us to stay mended and healed as we go through various circumstances of life. So that's why it's important to break the barriers to relational wellness because the relations you have and the various types of relations you have, they are more than gold. They will help your soul. They will help your spirit. They will help your body to continue to grow and to walk into the purpose God has ordained. So I pray that you got something out of this whole series. It was 12 parts. But at this point, I'm going to turn over to Prophet Shantae and she can close us out. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hello, everybody. What a powerful, 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 powerful word. There is so much to be said about this topic. Obviously, it's an exhaustive topic. We cannot cover possibly every single thing about it. But we're going to pray today because I really believe that there is a need for loyal friends. Not just acquaintances in our life, but loyal friends. People who they, who you can count on. People that will morally and spiritually upbuild you and nourish you and people who are not fly-by-night individuals that they're here one year and gone the next year so that's what I want to go ahead and pray into right now Heavenly Father we thank you for your goodness we thank you for your love we thank you for your grace and your mercy Father, I pray that each and every person that is hearing the message today, Father, that they would be encouraged, that they would be inspired, that they would be motivated, not just to hear this word, but to examine their own lives, to examine and make sure that they are the kind of friend that we talked about today one that is loyal, one that is upright, one that is trustworthy, one that can walk with their friends through the thick and the thin. And Father, I pray for those same kinds of friendships, those same kinds of uh, people who will be loyal, who will be morally upright, who will be kind, who will care, who will show that gut level of compassion I pray, Father, that you would send those kinds of friends into our lives. That, Father, if they see us struggling, that they would not just see us in that place, but, Father, they would be able to lift us, that they would be able to hold on to us, that they would be able to say, hey, I know you're going through a rough time, but I'm here, I'm, I am for you, I am with you. I will not let go. I'll hold on to this friendship. I will walk you through and walk with you through the rough places. I won't abandon you in the midst of your trouble, in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your tribulation. And Father, those friends, God, that remain, those friends who have been loyal, those friends who saw us endure the trials, who saw us not lose faith when it got to dark times, who saw us not lose integrity, 
when it might have been easy to just give in and do an ungodly thing or an honest, a dishonest thing for gain. Those people who have stayed in our life, who have weathered bad reports, who have weathered, you know, being told, hey, get rid of this person. They're no good. But who saw something in us anyway and chose to remain our friends. Lord, we ask that you bless them abundantly for their faithfulness, for their loyalty, for their compassion, that they could be counted on to stand with us in our life and truly be covenant friends. Bless these friendships that you're giving us, that they will go from generation to generation, from family to family. Bless in your son Jesus' name we ask and believe. Amen. Amen. Listen, I want to thank you for your time and attention today. Um, if you would like to give, you can show your support by uh, the link there that is pinned in the comment section. Also, if you would like to join our podcast family, you can go to anchor.fm forward slash during dialogues where these messages are also uploaded there in podcast format. Again, thank you all so much for your time and attention. We pray that you have a wonderful rest of the week and we'll be back in June for our next live Sunday dialogue. Take care, everyone, and God bless.